Welcome to Supply Chain Now, the voice of global supply chain. Supply Chain Now focuses on the best in the business for our worldwide audience, the people, the technologies, the best practices, and today's critical issues, the challenges and opportunities. Stay tuned to hear from those making global business happen right here on Supply Chain Now. Hey, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are. Scott Luton, Greg White with you here on Supply Chain Now. Welcome to today's live stream. Gregory, how are we doing? Doing quite well. How are you? Doing it's been a it's been a very productive week. Uh it's been a intriguing week. It's been a week that's called, I think, the world to action. And we've seen a lot of that, Greg. Mm-hmm. And uh, but from a supply chain standpoint, we've got a great conversation teed up right here today. Yeah, I agree. I, I mean, look, I guess I need to do the full disclosure thing like they do on CNBC. <laughs> I'm a big fan <laughs> of the founder and the company and advisor an investor in our guest today. So if I show some bias, huh. <laughs> <laughs> hey, but on, on a kind of a cool note, I, I yeah. was thinking about this as we do the intro. I wonder if the people out there who are waiting through the intro do what we do, which you and I are, you know, we're kind of like everywhere off camera. And yeah. then as soon as I don't know what the tone is in the, in the intro where you just go at attention. <laughs> Right. <laughs> right. I wonder what everybody's trigger point is. So That's a we're great like question. Pavlov's dog here. We could be doing anything. And as soon as ready. Well, we've got, uh, as you alluded to, without giving up our guests, we've got a wonderful conversation teed up today. We're going to be talking about creatively finding new ways at attacking yeah. and reducing risk, improving supplier performance, and really overall supply chain optimization. Starting with a focus on MRO, which is another one of our favorite acronyms, right? Maintenance Repair Operations, if I've got that right, Greg, I believe. There's several ways. That one, I like that one. Okay, we'll go with that one then. We'll see Christine and Aaron. We'll we'll get their take. their version of it is, yeah. Uh, But MRO Materials Management in particular, big opportunities there. We've got the A-team from Verison back with us. So stay tuned for what promises to be an informative and intriguing conversation. Okay. Greg, we're going to knock out quickly three program notes before we have Christine and Aaron uh, join us. So let's start with, Greg, our nominations are open for our 2022 Supply Chain and Procurement Awards. Nominations are open until April 1st. I think we've got eight or nine different categories or something for everybody. There's no limitations, Greg, wherever your operations are across the globe, you're eligible. And Greg, folks can go to supplychainprocurementawards.com. It's just that easy, right? Yeah. And it's in the the comments feed or is it? It's in the private chat. Let's see. It's we'll in there it in now. The comments feed. There we go. You want it, Greg? It's going to be in there. It's see like how that Ragu. happens? <laughs> but yes, I mean, look, nominate a, com- a company that's doing something exceptional. There's all kinds of categories, including humanitarian categories. So agreed. You know, pick a company, put them out there. That's right. And it all supports our nonprofit friends over at Hope for Justice. Moving right along, we want to talk about this Global Upstate Conference on International Business and Foreign Affairs taking place in South Carolina. Our dear friend Greg White and Kevin L. Jackson both are sitting on panels for this March 29th through the 31st event. Greg, your favorite thing you're looking forward to here? Schmoozing with generals and diplomats and things like that. I mean, seriously, in, in in the right way, I want to learn what they're seeing out there in the world. We haven't been able to visit 
the wide world much lately. So, you know, we have people coming from Europe and around the world. I'd like to understand what they're seeing in both foreign affairs and supply chain and how those things intersect. Agreed. It's going to be a great conference. Looking forward to checking out you and uh, Kevin and, and really the slew of all the other speakers that you're alluding to. Uh, and folks, it's open for registration. We'll drop the link in the chat and you will check that out. And finally, speaking of taking action, uh, just yesterday we had our dear friend Enrique Alvarez with Vector Global Logistics, who's committed mm-hmm. to changing the world and meeting needs wherever they are. He brought a couple of his EO friends uh, with him, including uh, David, who serves as president of EO Poland. And as we all know, uh, Greg and everyone else listening out there, Poland, the Polish people have just been remarkable. Yep. Uh, they've they've welcomed so many of these refugees that are in need uh, from Ukraine. I think the numbers is approaching two million now. But they need our help. We got to have their back. They need supplies, beds, foods, you name it. Living kits is what the EO organization, which is global, have assembled. Right. So if you want to step up and take action and give, regardless of whatever amount check out ukraine.eopoland.org. Again, ukraine.eopoland.org. And Greg, your quick comment there. Yeah, what David Adak and uh, Monique are doing, you know, to make things happen there in Poland. Look, these people have lives. They aren't at war and they are dropping everything. David runs a, a company, a tech company over there, and he has literally dropped everything to run this day and night, as we learned yesterday. So, you know, the strain extends beyond the borders of Ukraine, but man, the people of Poland, of course, some EO members in in the US and Moldova and Romania are taking the brunt and the, the largest majority of the refugees as they flee Russian aggression mm. in Ukraine. It's remarkable uh, to hear David speak yeah. to it yesterday. So y'all check that out. We need to have their back. They need our support. And of course, all of us here are praying, hoping, wishing for a ceasefire so that we can get to hopefully some sort of resolution, but protect people as we do. Okay. We've got some great guests that are going to join us in just a minute. Greg, let's say hello to just a couple of folks here. We want to hear from yeah. you all throughout the hour. We want to make this very interactive. Chander, tuned in via LinkedIn. Let us know where you're tuned in from. We'd love to, to have you. Uh, thanks for saying hello. I believe this, Greg, is Dirk, I believe, if I've got that right. Uh, Amanda, and, uh, Amanda, let me know, but big thanks to Amanda, Chantel, and Catherine behind the scenes helping to make the production happen. A lot of good stuff there, but welcome in, Chander and Dirk. And uh, again, we want to hear from you as we work through the conversation here today. Greg, yeah. are we ready to bring in our esteemed repeat guest to Supply Chain Now yeah. today? Absolutely. Let's do it. All right. With no further ado, I want to welcome in Christine Barnhart, Vice President of Product Strategy and Go-To-Market with Verison, and her colleague, Aaron Meredith, Executive Industry Advisor, also with Verison. Christine, Aaron, good afternoon. How you doing? Great. Hi. <laughs> it is so great to have you back. Uh, I want to say, Christine, you're with us, I believe it was last month, had a blast talking. I think you and Paul joined us. Uh, you had some big news. Y'all continue to innovate drive more success, grow. It's just uh, quite the story, huh? Uh, absolutely. I mean, it's, uh, you know, no holds barred. We're kind of really rolling into 2022, trying to to do our best to really solve some meaty supply chain challenges. 
I love it. And making big progress, really moving the needle in that regard. We're going to talk more about that in just a minute. I want to welcome, want to give a quick shout out. Y'all may know the one and only Jenny Patsloff. She's doing some great things up in Madison, Wisconsin, between entrepreneurs, industry, and, and government, and academia, you name it, solving problems. But Jenny, welcome in. Her Wisconsin Badgers, folks, are number three seed in the men's tournament. How about that? Good luck to the Badgers. Right up there was Duke. Is it really? Right. I have not Duke looked at the three seed. Yeah. Are they? I have they not got looked. by Virginia Tech in the ACC <laughs> championship and dropped from probably a one seed to a three. So, really? That, I mean, that's big props to Wisconsin to be at the same level. We're pulling for you, Jenny. And so great to have you here today. Look forward to your contributions. And by the way, love from India. Thank you very much for that. Let us know where you're tuned in from India via YouTube. Great to see you. All right, so Christine, Aaron, and Greg, before we get to the heavy lifting and we talk mm. about MRO, starting with MRO to really optimize your supply chain and, and reduce risk and, and find all kinds of efficiencies, let's start with this. Believe it or not, March 15th, celebrated each year since 1983 as World Consumer Rights Day. Had no idea, frankly, even though I'm a big uh, uh, fan and passionista when it comes to uh, con uh, consumer experience, right? Customer experience. But the tie-in here is it, they picked March 15th because President John F. Kennedy addressed Congress on March 15th of 1962 and laid out kind of a consumer rights and what to expect and what consumers should expect. So really cool historical tie-in. So this is the question I want to ask each of you. And Christine, we're going to start with you because you're, you're one heck of a leadoff hitter. Uh, like Otis Nixon stealing bases and hitting 300. So, Christine, I'm what is that um, as a compliment? It is a big compliment. <laughs> it's one of my favorite yeah. Braves of uh, uh, hitter, all yeah. time. So, Christine, what is a recent company that's really afforded a wonderful experience to you as a consumer? Absolutely. I'm going to tell you, Delta, I think that the airline industry has not been getting enough love. Um, and I travel a ton to our corporate headquarters in Atlanta, specifically through Hartsfield. And I just have to tell you, you know, they're, they're really doing a great job of being reliable and friendly. And the lounges, quite frankly, in Atlanta are really top notch, gives me a place to decompress and unwind and just make the fact that I'm going back and forth between my home and Heavensville and Atlanta pretty regularly, a lot less stressful. I love that Heavensville, which of course she's referring to Evansville, Indiana. I love that. Uh, and Christine, gosh, that's a great call out because Delta has done all of that in some really challenging conditions for the airline industry. So yeah. wonderful start there. Just like, Hey, you hit a double. So Christine's <laughs> on second base, Aaron. Come uh, on, so, Aaron, bring me home. <laughs> that's all right. So, Aaron, uh, I love how you just pick right up on that analogy, Christine. Aaron, <laughs> talk about a company that's really picked you up here lately. Yeah, yeah. So I, I had a problem this weekend, right? So I, I lived in Europe a few years ago, and I came back, and we brought one of our TVs we bought in Europe, and I was too cheap to buy a US TV to replace it. So I just got a 110 to 220-volt converter. It's been great, but then the fuse blew on it. So you got to uh -oh. find this five ounce or this five amp fuse for a 220 uh, volt converter, you know. So I went to the usual suspects, no, no dice, right? But your local Ace Hardware store, they can solve anything for you, right? <laughs> they and really they say, hey, I got this. And they say, follow me. <laughs> and they solve your problem. So in terms of customer experience, consumer experience, 
I'm willing to drop an extra dime here or there for the local Ace hardware. I love it. You pay, you get what you pay for. Greg, you're about yeah. to add to that. Oh, I'm not a shareholder of Ace Hardware, but a huge fan. <laughs> they have really, I don't want to say turned it around, but you know, in the old days, you thought of an Ace Hardware where there was like one oil filter on the shelf and an old guy <laughs> sitting there in a dirty t-shirt going, ah, we're out of stock on that. <laughs> now, it, I mean, they are real legitimate retail stores and they are a real art alternative to the big box stores and mm -hmm. they are just beautiful stores so they have really really come around and now a global organization they are huge all over the world including the middle east so i love that and they're growing yeah. and they go into old buildings that would otherwise be demolished and they like reinvesting we got one just down the road that they went into an old eckert that has been out you know been been sitting there vacant for years i love that Every single Ace Hardware locally owned, by the way. Really? Mm -hmm. Yeah, okay. they we are not a chain. More. They are a group of, of independent dealers is what they call them. But. It's a okay. franchise type model, correct? Yeah. 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 Love it. All right. So Ace Hardware and Delta, you're getting loved on here today. Keep doing what you're doing. Consumers are very appreciative. Edip tuned in from the UK via LinkedIn. Great to see you here today. Let us know where in the UK. And we look forward to hearing your and Jenny's and everyone else's POV as we work through today's conversation. So with that said, we're going to have to couch or uh, shelve sports and our consumer love for the moment because we're going to talk about supply chain here today with, with uh, leaders from organizations that are making their presence felt globally. So with that said, Christine, let's start maybe with some level setting, which is one of my favorite places to start after the foreign fun warm up with what are we seeing? the state of supply chain today. So what are we seeing out there, Christine? Well, it, it definitely isn't getting less complex and or more stable. I mean, I think I'd be remiss if I didn't start with, obviously, the situation in Ukraine and, and Russia. I think it's top of mind in general, the humanitarian crisis but from a supply chain standpoint. You know, supply chains were already struggling. This really just makes it worse, makes it more complicated. There's a lot of materials that really come from that region, hydrocarbons, some critical minerals. And then also, you know, beyond that, the Ukraine has really functioned along with Poland as kind of that low cost region for Europe. And, you know, they do a lot of assemblies and a, and a ton of production. So I don't think it's going to get any better for supply chains anytime soon, just because of that incident. Right. You know, beyond that, we're continuing to see, you know, changes in demographics. And I know we've talked previously about what MZ has, you know, termed the great sandemic, which are the, this demographic drought and, you know, record retirements for baby boomers not expected to re-enter the market. Mm. And, you know, millennials delaying and or, you know, moving into entrepreneurial roles, women being much more impacted by COVID and, and exiting the workforce. So I think that's another, you know, just a big issue for supply chains. And then just in general, if we take a step back, and I've been in supply chain engineering, manufacturing for over 20 years, we've had this myop myopic focus on reducing cost and, and being lean, um, really at the cost of being agile. And, and I think, you know, it's coming home to roost now. Um, mm -hmm. There's not a quick fix. And I think everybody kind of has to strap in for the long ride, unfortunately. Incredibly challenging. And Greg, you're about to add to that. Well, I mean, it, you know, 
where Verison does a lot of work is with manufacturers and brands, right? And they have been remiss in moving from a solely cost reduction based supply chain to one that's more of a risk balanced supply chain, recognizing that there are risks in the supply chain other than just cost. And now, as, as Christine just talked about, they are paying the price and mm. several of them are moving fast. Some of them are hoping for the old days to return, but the difference that will force companies to adapt and adopt new technologies is the fact that you cannot hide your supply chain anymore. Mm. Now your supply chain is as big or even bigger brand equity play than even your sales department. Because if you can't, even if you can sell it, if you can't deliver it, what does it matter? Yeah. Agreed. You know, it's kind of like the, um, somewhat related note that baseball analogy you can't hide someone that can't play defense because that's where the ball is going to find in crunch time right, right. and it, it's ruined a lot of playoff experiences for a lot of teams uh really quick and aaron i'm coming to you next for your quick follow-up but i want to welcome in tino tinda from zimbabwe via linkedin great to see you here today look forward to your perspective y'all keep it coming we're going to try to get y'all's comments to work through soleil great to see you uh via abu dhabi doing some really cool things there in UAE from a gen yeah. general industry standpoint. Uh, Gene Pledger is tuned in. He says, great point. Inventory <laughs> Thank goodness. Supply is gold right now. I was, afraid our, I was afraid our signal got lost in Northern Alabama somewhere. <laughs> right. And finally, Bilkis, I, I believe. I said that wrong. I apologize. Make sure we get, give me some tips there. But great point. Risk balanced supply chain. That is soothing to my ears. Great to have you here via LinkedIn, Bill Quise, and we'll forward to the rest of your perspective. Okay. So Aaron, we're level setting and then we're going to move into kind of what our teams are facing here in a minute, but, but finish any additional thoughts when it comes to what we're seeing with the current state of supply chain right now. Yeah, no, it's, it's really interesting. Just, uh, I, I talk to a lot of companies every week and, and just how those conversations have changed over the past year. I mean, it was clear into last year, nobody cared about cost. It's like risk, 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 supply, supply, supply. Right. Really all we care about, we're going to inflate our inventories. And it, it's really interesting. I would say, you know, really over the past, maybe kicking off 2022, almost every conversation is, okay, now how do we actually optimize costs without, without in, in incurring more risk? So it's kind of like, okay, we, we did risk ourselves a lot, but we, that's unsustainable. I mean, that's just right. a, that was a reaction. So we have to figure out how to now get costs back in line without, you know, bringing risk down or bringing risk up with it. And, uh, you know, so that's that's clear where a lot of folks, unsurprisingly, mm. turn their attention to because you can't just de-risk yourself out of business. Well, I guess you can, but you probably shouldn't. That's right. the other risk. Right. Yeah. So the, the knee jerk reaction was, was allowed for a certain period of time, but now we got to get back in control. So it's kind yeah. of what I'm hearing there from Aaron, uh, by the way, Priya, great to see you here from Guyana. Thanks for that. Yes. Christine and Aaron and Greg always provide a uh, very insightful discussion, but we want to hear from you, Priya. Let us know what you're thinking, your reaction to what some of the things we talk about here today. Okay. We're going to shift gears kind of from the state of supply chain to one of our favorite topics, which is the people, right? The people that make global supply chain, global business happen. You know, we love our technology and technology certainly is transforming in so many ways how we do things so we can do it better and we can better take care of our uh, team members and our customers, quite frankly. But Aaron, speaking about the people that make up the teams at organizations across the globe, what are they facing right now? 
Yeah, it's a pretty it's a pretty complex um, you know equation. So e even prior to the pandemic, we knew we knew thirty percent of our workforce was going to retire, and we could only replace a fraction of them. You know, so that that problem is already sitting there. And then through the pandemic, with the sandemic and people exiting, and you know, it's just accelerated and gotten worse. You know, the other side of that equation is companies have been smart about digitizing their data and their processes and they have all this data and, and data doesn't seem to be the problem anymore. We got all the data we can handle, right? but it's really, you know, how, how can you make good use of it? And if, if I'm running a company, how do I best apply my resources to get the job done? I got to get done today while preparing myself for the future while trying to digitally transform into this future state. And how do I play all those puzzle pieces? Right. And, and, that's that's kind of the the complex three dimensional chessboard that folks are trying to deal with, and you know I would say eighty percent of everybody we're talking to is going through some sort of major implementation. Uh, it could be a, an ERP upgrade or some sort of enterprise wide initiative that's consuming a ton of resources, which is interesting because the other side of that is you have a lot of ways you can help address you know, these problems they're having and solve, solve some problems that are actually very resource light and agile. And, you know, one of the things that the conversations we get into often is, okay, if you want to have resources to go work on this great big project you have, what if you could actually free up some of those resources time by implementing some point solutions that, that enable your, your organization to be much more productive right? Let's get a lot more done, fewer resources, easier, less expensive. And now you've, now you've unlocked resources to go work on some of these larger projects. That, that's a, that, that's a huge paradigm shift. You didn't have that conversation, you know, five or 10 years ago, but these are kind of the routes you can start to explore. Now, I think companies are starting to realize that, you know, yes, we have to do this big thing here, but what are these multitude of other initiatives I can engage in very cheaply, easily, low risk, that's going to make me more profitable and free of resources at the same time that I need to commit to some of these big projects. So that's that's a lot of the when we talk about people in companies and and people are like, man, how do I how do I go do something with you guys when I got this huge right project over here? These are the conversations we have. And all of that uh, gives the people what they want, which is more rewarding, fulfilling work when you can do that uh, effectively. We're going to touch on that in just a second. Mm -hmm. Christine, I'm going to come to you next uh, for your your follow-up thoughts to that. But first, I want to say hello, Greg, to our dear friend Lamont Hardy, the yeah. project management hey, guru, and, and then some, based in sunny San Diego. Great to see you here, uh, Lamont. Lamont okay. wholeheartedly agreed with my wholehearted disagreement with <laughs> An, a, an author on on one of my uh, summaries that I posted on LinkedIn the other day. So. <laughs> well, he said I, like I wholeheartedly that. agree. <laughs> Every Monday, Wednesday, Friday. If you're not connected or following Greg White, you're missing out. I promise you. Okay, Bill Keith's great question. We're going to bring that into the fold in just a second. But Christine, library. What else would you piggyback on Aaron's initial thought there in terms of the challenges that teams are facing? Yeah, I mean, I think Aaron hit a lot of the talking points. I mean, and you've you know, we've talked about it before. People are swimming in data. It's not a data, it's not a lake, it's a swamp. The data is not very useful necessarily. Companies have a really hard time gleaning insights 
from the data that they have today. So I, I agree with him wholeheartedly. It's not a data issue. It's really, I think, um, finding solutions that are very business outcome focused from companies that have true subject matter expertise, where you can kind of pick and choose your battles and say, okay, I'm going to improve this one thing. It's not a heavy lift. And then I'm going to move on to the next thing. And Gartner has just really started to talk about kind of the composable supply chain and right. um, micro apps and, and things of that nature. So I don't think any of us are advocating that you don't need an ERP, but at the end of the day, the ERP is not going to solve all of your problems. And mm. in order to move forward, you really have to think about new business processes and new ways, which is that distinction, right, between digitization and digitalization. Ah. Um, and I think that companies are finally starting to, they, they digitized, right, in the 80s and 90s. Right, and right. They, they were on an electronic system, but it still wasn't really delivering everything that they needed. Mm, okay. All right. Uh, lots of t-shirt isms already. Greg, I want to come yeah. to you and then I'm going to circle around to Bilky's question about the great resignation and get everyone's yeah. quick answer there. But Greg, your th current thoughts, your thoughts. Data is not in a lake. It's in a swamp. Wow. That, if that's not a great t-shirt ism, I don't know <laughs> Wait, what it is. Uh, that... I got to I got to attribute that. That's actually Laura Ciceri. <laughs> of course. The one and only. Yeah, yep. for sure. <laughs> telling it All like right. it is. <clears throat> Look, I think, you know, I don't, I don't directly compete with any of these ERPs, so I can say what I really have always thought about ERPs, and that is they are a mile wide and an inch deep. And the, the kind of area where that Christine and Aaron are talking about in supporting your people, sometimes you need to go a mile deep. And that's why point solutions make sense to bolt into an ERP. Look, let's face it, ERP systems started out as finance systems. ERPs just a name because they could, they had to come up with a name that said, we're going to dabble, that allowed them to market the fact that they dabble in supply chain, they dabble in forecasting, they dabble in warehouse management and all these other, all these other things. But in the end, it's a data, master data management and finance tool. That's it. So going deep in, uh, in all of these niche, I don't want to say niche, I say point solution areas, it's worth it. People have been doing it for decades with warehouse management and demand forecasting and planning and that sort of thing. And there are other areas where you can yeah. do that. And I believe that the days of $4 billion ERP implementations that nearly, mm -hmm. nearly kill a company are over because now you can put a data layer over the top of this old ancient system. Literally, some of these systems have code from the 1950s in them. Hieroglyphics. Um, you, you can put data layers over that and then interconnect with all these other data systems. And that's a huge service to your people because instead of re-engineering your business or re-engineering your technology, you get to king work and get the work done. <laughs> okay. I love it. PG, um, PG, come on. <laughs> all right. So we got, I believe, great, I believe it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, the, sens the sensors weren't just, they were just fast enough. Uh, David Morrow, you got a great question here. We'll try to get to that. Uh, I want to add Mark Preston's here. Mark, hope this finds you well. He's on the board with the Association for Manufacturing Excellence. Mark says value in the eyes of the customer versus pretty wallpaper for charts on the wall with no action or outcome. I love that, Amen. Mark. Hope this finds you well. Great friend of the show there. And then Analytics let's get the action only. Yes. <laughs> let's get to, and, and I'm going to if I can get your quick answer to Bilky's question here, and then we're going to move on to MRO because that's, that's one of our main thrusts here today. 
Do you think the great resignation is affecting supply chain and how are organizations balancing it with resource allocation? Christine, I'll stick with you for a Reader's Digest answer. A hundred percent. A tremendous amount of knowledge and expertise is walking out the door. And if you have not invested in systems and tools that allow you to capture and institutionalize and leverage that, it's gone and it's never mm-hmm. coming back. You're in the swamp with no paddle. Okay. Uh, <laughs> let's, <laughs> let's go to Aaron. There's alligators. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's 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 impacting everywhere, right? So, as Christine said, if if you're not doing something about it already, you're already behind <laughs> in in this space. But balancing—that's a great term, right? So you've only got so many resources; they're getting fewer, and and balancing becomes tougher. So you have to find ways to free up your people's time, which are available. Yes, <laughs> they're available. Up- you can unlock that productivity with these uh, point solutions that Greg refers to, you know, so that they can work on these other critical areas of your business. Right. Yes. And bring more value to the table and enjoy it while they do it. Greg, uh, your quick answer to Bilky's question. Absolutely. Yes. And it's been doing so for nearly a decade. I mean, baby boomers have been retiring for a decade. So to the second part of the question, how our organization is balancing it with resource allocation, hopefully not strategically. <laughs> Right. I mean, I really think that most companies have no plan and and that's that's going to set companies back, frankly, as Christine said, a lot of expertise walking out the door where the only place where that expertise was held was in someone's head. Yes, they're walking out the door with a multicolored fanny pack full of their tribal knowledge. And Christine, if that's within (laughs) arms, yes, please share. Maybe you can share what you (laughs) Perfect. Just to be clear, do you think do you think all I mean wait let's not stereotype here. Not all baby boomers wear fanny packs. Right. (laughs) I I think hey, I think you're at if you're everything regardless of the generation, if you're at a a, a wonderful amusement park with the kids, a fanny pack is a convenient way to go, right, Christine? Exactly. And I'm a Gen Xer. I've never owned a fanny pack, but you know what? When I go to (laughs) Orlando next week, I'm taking a fanny pack. All right. Pictures or it didn't happen. Pictures or it didn't happen. All right. We got to move on. Thank you for giving us the prop there, Christine. Let's talk about MRO. So first off, I want to make sure we got the the acronym right. Main. I've, I've seen a couple different definitions. Christine, we're going to talk about why we start with MRO and what the big deal about that is. But first, maintenance repair operations. Is that a is that good? Yeah, as, as in all things supply chain, there are multiple definitions. Yes. I generally do maintenance, repair, and operating supplies. But I think there's, like I said, all things supply chain, there's nuance and tweaks. Yes, yes. Okay. Well, so we got about a 85, I think was our, our grade on uh, the acronym. But Christine, more important than the acronym, and by the way, I think this might be Catherine, but loves the fanny pack. The fanny packs and the swoosh, they're going to be the stars of the show, as as typically is the case. But Christine, what is the opportunity with MRO? Why should folks start there? And, and what's the big deal? 
Yeah, I think so. We're seeing a lot of movement for companies to invest in intelligence. And, you know, Gartner talks about it. HBR talks about it. I think Gartner, the last I looked, they were like 50% of companies are going to invest in intelligence applications in the next like two or three years. Most, however, are taking kind of this enterprise approach where, mm. you know, they, they want to boil the ocean, right? you know, a mile wide and an inch deep, and it's not very effective. So what we're really seeing is pretty progressive, mature companies have started to recognize, let's pick a, an area. And MRO is a great area. It isn't as risky as starting with direct materials, right? There's more supply available. It's a little bit more commodity oriented. So I can you know, make this investment to improve MRO, you know, reduce risk without inflating inventories by applying artificial intelligence and make some tremendous gains. My people get comfortable with the technology. I, as a company, start to understand it better. And then I can, you know, really mature and, and move into the next area of supply chain. So I think for us, you know, we're really advocating that people start to to look in the MRO space. I mean, look, I've been in this a long time and and I've managed sourcing and I was one of those people that was like, uh, MRO, like it's not strategic. I care about like the big things, the, the direct materials. And now I'm like, oh, wow, that was that was really myopic and, and on my part and maybe not that effective for the companies that I worked for. And I should have taken, you know, a little bit more strategic approach because at the end of the day, if I don't have what I need to run the plant, I'm not making production. Mm. And if I have too much of something, then I'm wasting, you know, working capital that I could have been using for something else. Excellent point. Now, according to a resource that we're going to share towards the end of today's live stream, which included this factoid that according to Boston Consulting Group, up to 4.5% of uh, all of top line revenue could be spent on MRO services, spare parts, you name it. So this, this could be a potentially big opportunity as you speak to Christine. Aaron, I want to come to you. What else would you add to that? And we'll get Greg's take and then we're going to move to uh, some stories and some examples. Yeah. So Aaron. Yeah, I mean, uh, so having worked a not insignificant portion of my career in maintenance and reliability and, and manufacturing, a $2 gasket can still shut your plant down, right? So from an overall spend versus, an you know, within a company, percentage-wise, we're like, yeah, it's not really strategic, but the risk is, is really enormous to manufacturers to not managing it right, one. But two, there's still a lot of money to be saved there because because it's not strategic, it's not been invested in, it's mm. not been innovated in, and there's just money everywhere. Everywhere you look, there's waste to be had that you can capture very quickly. So it's a great, it's a great place to start, get great returns, low risk, learn how to use this new way of working. So I'm hearing what you both are talking about there, leaders, because it's not a sexy thing to focus on. Folks, leaders are missing real opportunities. Uh, Greg, yeah. what else would you add to what Christine and Aaron, and Aaron have shared? To the point of what they both said, leaders need to redefine their definition of strategic because a $2 item of any kind that can shut down your plant is strategic, mm. right? Mm. I mean, out of business is still out of business, <laughs> no matter whether it was a $500,000 part or a $5 part. So I think we need to redefine that. 
And the, the other thing um, with MRO and starting with MRO is it's a much lighter investment and it's a much more data poor environment. So it's the worst, it's the best of one world and the worst of other worlds. It can only get better from there because your data is usually better in your direct goods and it's way better in your finished goods. Yep. So if you can build a model and succeed, it's the old story, I'm from Wichita, Kansas. If a business can survive in Wichita, Kansas, it can survive anywhere. <laughs> um, and similarly, if, if you're, you can make a benefit in the MRO space, it's that much easier to do it in direct and finished goods as you, as you grow. And it gives you that sort of pilot environment where, as Christine said, it's much, much safer. Okay. I, I thought I heard a little Charles Dickens tale of two cities there, Greg, but Christine, you, you were going to add. Just to reinforce what Greg said, I cut my teeth in maintenance when I graduated from college and we did a huge MRO project. We went into burdened stores and we, you know, pulled reports on everything that was there. And we tried to find things that were duplicated and, you know, sell off, sell off inventory that wasn't even used anymore. And yeah, I think what shocks me is most companies are still operating that way. They're not even applying technology that's been around for five or 10 years, heck less, you know, some of the more, you know, more aggressive tools that a company like Verison is really bringing to market to make it just easy, seamless, not time consuming. You know, it's like picking up your phone and use an Uber. You didn't have to take a lot of training for how to do that. Right. right. <laughs> and that I think is what supply chains really lacking overall. All right. So I want to insert, I think at this point, based on some of your last comments there, Christine, kind of using off the shelf, generic and old technology. I want to insert David's question here and get y'all's quick take on this. So David, hope this finds you well. Great to have you here today. He says, back to that data swamp that we were referencing earlier. Could that be due to a standard set of metrics and language to build from and organize about? What I read into that is not customized, not pinpoint, not targeted, just kind of, hey, this is what works everywhere else. We're going to plug it in here and you're going to do, you know, use it like every other company uses it. Right. Any reactions to David's Enough question? Enough for PNG. <laughs> right, right. Uh, any other comments uh, from our panel here? Yeah, I'll, I'll jump in. When I read that, immediately what comes to mind is, is data governance, which is a nightmare. I mean, not that you shouldn't do it to some extent, but having worked in manufacturing all my career, think about safety and safety systems, right? Mm. Uh, and, and you're trying to keep your, your workforce safe. The lowest level of protection you can give them is administrative controls. So rules, governance, basically, right? Right. And, and that's, that's, to me, that's what data governance feels like. It feels, it's just got a lot of ways to fail and it's very difficult. And while you might be able to do it as a company, within your four walls. Well, when you go up and down your supply chain, how's that work? Right. Mm. It doesn't, it doesn't, you know, and how are you going to get adherence to a standard, you know, up and down a supply chain down to the minute level of certain pieces of data. Right. So uh, I think that calls for a different approach to getting to the outcomes we're looking for. Agreed. Greg, Christine, want to add anything else to that? You want to go Christine? Sure. I was just going to say, I, I, I think there's a place for standards, canonicals. I'm super excited to see ASCM and, and ISO 
really working together to, to build a new supply chain standard similar to what they did with manufacturing, but it doesn't fix dirty data, master data discrepancies, the need to maintain data or the need to not maintain data. And I think that's the paradigm, right? Is can I generate an outcome that's positive for my business without wasting time, you know, cleansing data, governing data. And, you know, 20 years ago, those tools didn't exist. You didn't have an option. But today, the tools exist through natural language processing and machine learning and artificial intelligence. Um, we're bringing forward insights without companies having to spend not just months, but, you know, quarters cleansing data, which by the way, as soon as you get done with the project, the data starts to get dirty again. Not sustainable, right? Or irrelevant, right? Or irrelevant, exactly. So I think part of it is just getting people to think differently. And by the way, that's the analyst too. We've talked to several that are like, oh, you know, I think we need master data management. And we're like, well, we kind of have the proof that says we can deliver these outcomes without requiring data cleanse and master data management. So I think there's, you know, there's a lot that as a supply chain that we can do to move forward um, to, to change our thinking. Wonderful. Okay. All right, Greg, I know your quick follow-up point from you, Greg, and then we're going to get into story time. Companies grow by acquisition. This problem will persist for the from now until the end of time because Aaron's plant calls it a pail of paint. Mine calls it a can of paint and they are exactly the same item. That's just one example. You'll never solve it. So if you have to undertake this data cleanse process, it never ends and therefore you can never go forward. I think you know what we're trying to provide here is a way to go forward with the data you have now, right? And recognize that a can equals a pail and hey, if if Aaron needs a what is mine a can? If Aaron needs a can of paint, I can send it to him. <laughs> All right. right? I, mean, I love it. Powerful, right? He can call it a pail and I can call it a can, but it's still the same thing. And, and we can recognize that they are the same item. That is the simplest example I can give for that. But it's critical and you can do it right now. Love it. Love it. You're, you're displaying some of your ventriloquism. If I said that right for a, a second <laughs> ago, but we'll, we'll leave that. I appreciate that practical analogy, you know, bucket you. versus pail versus uh, a can, you know, that gets, that can trip a lot of enterprises up in their operations. Let's move on really quick. Uh, Dr. Rhonda, great to see you here today. As always, she says, great to spend some time listening again today. Really enjoyed your show yesterday. Coaching up now on the discussions. Hey, uh, it was a powerful conversation yesterday with our friends uh, from the EO organization are doing things about taking real action to uh, Ukraine. Yeah. And uh, what's going on there? Okay, setting that aside for just a moment, let's 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 continue on this path. You know, each of y'all were kind of speaking around real conversations you're having, uh, experiences. Let's continue on, down that path, Aaron. Let's get some other examples for what yeah. what you've seen uh, successful approaches and its impact related to MRO. Yeah, yeah, I've got a few stories. I mean, one that's right on line with what we were talking about uh, this this data problem. The reason people think they need to be doing data cleanses, especially in MRO, where you have a large enterprise that could have well north of a thousand people that can create an item. And why do they have it that way? They need to get their jobs done, right? That's why. And as a result, they end up with all these duplicates and things out there. So we have a customer that had a failure on a line upstream piece of equipment. 
two downstream production lines down, didn't have the item they needed in the storeroom, mm. called up the supplier four week lead time because we're in a pandemic. They looked at every instance of the ERP they have in the company and couldn't find it. And then they looked in our tool and they saw, look at all these duplicates out there that you have or might have, right? And they found two or three plants that actually had that item when they overnighted it, got their machine back up and running, saved over a million dollars of downtime. So it really happened. Very simple activity, very simple activity. And there was not one bit of data clean to enable that to happen, right? So there's an example of an outcome of just understanding what you have using intelligence and providing insight into that. Another one is. Hey, really quick, Aaron, yeah. if I could interject. Yeah. yeah. Uh, production line downtime rarely is very affordable and inexpensive, huh? A million dollars in downtime. Yeah, right. Holy cow. Yeah. Um, all right. So you were going to share another one. Yeah. So, so on that same line, another thing I hear from companies all the time is because I know I've got all this duplicate data and I've got a gazillion things that people set up around my enterprise, I have no idea what I'm really spending on different items and who I'm spending it with. I can kind of drill down here or there in this system, uh, but I don't really have a good picture of that. And if it's true that we can understand what's the same and what's different within your data, we can aggregate all those insights. You want to know mm. what you spent for these 10 things that are actually the same? Here they are. We didn't clean anything to do that. Mm -hmm. Right. So it, it's a different way of thinking about solving. The, it's, it's really paradigm shattering, I would say. And, and uh, we get into a lot of interesting conversations with folks that have an MDM project <laughs> that, that, that went up and sold it to the C-suite and has, has a lot invested in it. Right. And it's mm -hmm. like, well, let us help you get to the outcomes. I mean, you know, you're trying to accomplish an objective here. What if you can get there faster? Mm. Really quick, I got it. And I'm going to get Christina, get your follow up take to that, and you and Greg's. But uh, really quick, you're talking about duplicates through a lot of the, a lot of your stories there. Dupes for short. I got to give you all a free idea. Duke of Earl is one of my favorite songs of all time. There is a dupe of Earl that we can use. Uh, you can incorporate it into your booth at Modex. I think that's booth 1124. And <laughs> I want to see it when we get there in a couple Playing of weeks, in the right? backgrounds. Yes. Do, do, I'm going to work do, on that. Do, do, All right. So, <laughs> Christine, I love that song, man. Uh, Christine, let's. Uh, what else would you add to that? I, I love practical examples and stories and experiences that a lot of the folks in our ecosystem can relate to. What else would you add? You know, I think the twist I would add is in a lot of these situations, companies are like, well, can't I just build this myself? Can't I, can't I do what you guys are doing? And I, and I would say that, yes, you can, uh, or you can try, but the amount of time and money that you would have to invest to get the output that we're able to provide you generally, you know, in just a few weeks, it's not going to be beneficial to your company. You have to hire data scientists and you have to buy multiple tools and you have to test and train algorithms. And so, you know, we're really able to take the data that you have today, ingest it, you know, apply our proprietary technology and come back to you very, very quickly to say, this is what we see. And then as your data changes, we're going to bring forward new insights and we're going to, we're going to say, oh, look, you know what? Somebody added something at this plant and it looks amazingly similar to things that you already had in, in, in another facility. So, you know, the exercise that we're talking about, yes, you could probably hire some resources and maybe get some, some, some results one time. 
but is it sustainable? Is it going to continue to look at your data and continue to learn as your employees say, yes, that is a duplicate or no, it's not. And here's why. Right. And so, you know, we're applying that. And then beyond that, we aren't just learning from your data. We're learning from other people's data too. And mm. you benefit from that okay, in a way that you, yeah, yeah, you could build it. You could get some probably rudimentary improvement, but you're also not going to be able to get learnings from, you know, others and you're not going to be able to, to sustain that long-term. Mm. Well said. All right. There's so much. We, we're going to have to bolt on another hour here. Greg, I'm coming to you uh, next, but really quick. Tino Tenda, uh, feels good listening to the discussion. Looking forward to attending more sessions. Great to have you here. Let us know your favorite part of what you've heard our panel speak to here and look forward to your POV. Uh, Crawford Bottle Rockets McCarty says, I'll get the karaoke machine ready for you, Scott. Hey, Crawford, yeah. great to have you back. We enjoyed you um, a few weeks back uh, where I think you were talking about PVC pipe and bottle rockets. If I'm not mistaken, that was part of my childhood. I don't know about you, but great to see you here, Crawford. And uh, one more comment here. Going back to uh, the data discussion a second ago, Mark says, agree, Christine, it does not matter which process or system you put into place. It is the pain of discipline or the pain of regret. How about that? I say this when I go to the gym or don't. Who owns the process? Can you mistake proof the data? Mark, bringing mm -hmm. it. About three, mm -hmm. three t-shirt isms in one one response there. Greg, what would you add? Um, if you're a uh, lawyer, you don't do surgery on yourself. If you are if you are a manufacturing company, do not build technology. Leave it to the experts. Yes. Right. Yes. First of all, you don't get the scalability and you don't get the the additional insight from other companies problems that could relate to yours. Um, I think more and more companies are recognizing that they're better at they're better at branding or they're better at manufacturing, but they have these huge, huge technology organizations that they have to feed. And it's a mistake in almost every mm -hmm. case. And I think the other is to, to Aaron's point is, and this goes back to some comments that everyone has made, we're losing lots of actual intelligence every day. And AI, artificial intelligence, can learn from that actual intelligence or even supplant that actual intelligence if it's already gone. So, there's some boomer at the example company that Aaron is talking about that could have said, oh, yeah, Billy Bob's plant in Huntsville has that very same thing. They just right. call it something different. Yep. And, and you can impart that knowledge into your technology so that your technology takes that actual intelligence, continues to learn from it, and, and plays the role of that person who just went to live at the beach. Mm. Yep. Okay. Uh, we've got a great question here from Stefano. Uh, if we've got time, we'll circle back to that Stefano and David submitted a few other comments. We'll try to get to these, but we, we want to make sure, you know, action It's about deeds, not words, right? It's about taking action. And uh, Christine, I want to, I want to, uh, as we start to wrap, I want to move to you here. What's a couple of calls to action that you would share with our ecosystem here? I think one would be we just published some thought leadership around, you know, kind of intelligent MRO optimization. I think that's a great place to start. I think beyond that, um, as you already mentioned, come see us at Modex. We are super close to the food area. So you can grab something to eat and talk to us. Smart um, move, Christine. Yeah, I, I didn't pick that. I think Crawford did actually. So, you know, you know, I think it's just like, let's have conversations. Let's talk about it. Let's keep it 
top of mind. And then I think, you know, I mean, I hate to use the hold hands, sing kumbaya, but I mean, that's really what we're talking about, folks, is, you know, there's technology and tools out there. We're one. Obviously, we're biased. We think we're phenomenal. But, you know, I think it's like supply chain professionals have to change how they think because what worked 20 years ago, it, it's not going to work now. And Greg, you alluded to this. You're like, some people are waiting to go back. There is no going right. back. That mm, no, dynamic right. no longer exists. All we can do is move forward. Yeah. Well said there. And by the way, folks, we dropped to the Verison resource that Christine mentioned. We dropped a link to that in the comments. And what I liked about that, I, I checked that out earlier today. You don't have to, it's not gate after gate. You submit your information and then bam, you got access to it. I hate some of those other resources where it's like three or four walls you got to get through. 1124 is y'all's booth at Modex. And if I'm not mistaken, Aaron and Christine, we're talking about this pre-show. Basketballs will be there, but is NBA jams will or will not? We got to get this official. Uh, I'm not committing to that right now. Okay. Scott. All right. But if you guys, if somebody wants to stop by the office, we can hook you up because we got NBA jams and golden tea. Oh man. A two for I'm, Okay. Right. I'm telling you, they have a great ball team there. So if you, if you go to play basketball at Verison, bring a friend. I love. <laughs> yeah, I will tell you, uh, played in the NBA for a little bit. So yeah, I was yeah. going to say we have a lot of really tall people that have played <laughs> basketball. I'm not. I'm like I want no part of this. So. Hey, height and speed never slump. I wish I. That's I wish right. I had one of at least one of those. I don't. But anyway, uh, Aaron, anything else would you add? I love these call to actions. Very practical. Hey, check out the resource. Come see us at Modex. Drop by the office. Whatever. But come. Enjoy dialogue with the team. I love that, Christine. Aaron, anything else you'd add to that? Yeah, no, that's it. That's it. I like I like just leaving with these wise little comments like what you know is the enemy of what you can learn. So forget <laughs> what you think you need to do yep. to, to fix your supply chain and, and open up your mind to what's possible that wasn't possible a few years ago. I love that, Aaron. That's that's a little say that again, uh, Aaron. What you know, I don't know if I could do that again. Uh, <laughs> what you know is the enemy of what you could learn. Is that yeah? That's it, basically. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Nice. I learned that from somebody. T-shirt. So take credit. <laughs> yeah, another T-shirt. Oh, Charlie yeah, the T-shirt. The T-shirt guy for sure. So Crawford's teased us. Hey, you're going to have to come check out in the booth, 1124 at Modex, the greatest supply chain trade show, at least in the Western Hemisphere, to find out. So y'all do that. And Crawford, great to have you here with us today. Greg, man, uh, old Aaron and Christine are one heck of a one-two punch, huh? Well, yeah. And I mean, this is such an incredible topic. I just, what I love about what they're doing is they're enabling action now, right? It's not, it doesn't, the world will not wait for big, drawn-out implementations with years-long efforts to get small results in the first few years. Let's start. Let's just get going. Appify the supply chain is what we need to do. Hey, I like that. Appify the supply chain. Okay. I've got 18 pages of notes today. Y'all have been on fire. Five really? extra, gang, in case, <laughs> yeah, you're, in case you want to know your rating. That's pretty good. <laughs> really have enjoyed our discussion. Love our repeat guests. And really, uh, you know, what I love about Christine and Aaron, because we've seen it time and time again, Greg, they're the same people outside of these shows as they as what you see here. And that's how stuff happens, right? That authenticity, authentic leadership that's been there, done that. So big thanks again to Christine Barnhart and Aaron Meredith, both with Verison. 
Uh, thank you for your time. We hope to see you at Modex maybe in a couple of weeks. Sounds good. Sounds see you guys Thanks, there. everybody. Bye, guys. Man. I'm so uh, uncool. I'm a video waiver. I can't help it. Hey, that, <laughs> if I could shake their hand or give them a hug, I would, but I got to settle for a wave. So I'm going to do it. I don't care well, what anybody thinks. You can't. That's right. And you know, really have enjoyed though, the conversation There were some questions we couldn't get to. I think that the, the nature of our topic that we were talking about, you know, it's tough, it's tough to tackle just about anything of, of significance in an hour. But I think a lot of what Christine and Aaron spoke to and shared and the challenges and the stories, the opportunity is sitting there. What's what's keep what's holding your organization back is kind of some of what I heard here. Greg, your thought? I think what's really um, unique about what they're doing is we've had this ongoing dialogue, data cleansing, data cleansing, data cleansing. It has to be a big effort. And like anything that is a big effort, that's usually brought about by the big five or six or four, however many accounting firms. Why? Because right. they deploy hundreds of people for hundreds of millions of dollars on these projects. And this is a project that can be equally as effective in weeks, mm. not months or years, and not for $100 million or $40 million or $10 million. So it, I think probably the biggest hurdle you have to overcome here is believing that it's possible to do this with simplicity, to do it without the data cleanse, to just get to work. And I've seen it, literally yeah. have seen it in-person work. I've watched companies save millions, tens of millions of dollars in less than 100 days. And it is truly impressive to see. Mm. So Empower and equip. possible. And I think yeah. the difficulty is, to Aaron's point, right? What you know is the enemy of what you could learn. And I think we need to have this sort of blessing of naivete and believe that something like this could be possible. Even if you're wrong, which mm. I, of course, don't believe you are, even if you're wrong, you've spent a hell of a lot less than you have if you go into a big technology implementation or the project pain of a, of a data cleanse. Why not give it a try? Why not? Why not? And there are, you, and I, I mean, this is not just a Verison, right? I mean, there are lots of opportunities now to use simpler technologies, at least simpler to implement and simpler to use technologies that are every bit as effective as these old fashioned mm. technologies that take years or months to implement. Your people deserve it. Make it easier for them, empower them to do more and bring more value to the table. I want to wrap just a couple things here. Uh, we dropped the link again to the resource and the link. Verison.com is, is what that link, you know, you can learn more about Verison there. V-E-R-U-S-E-N.com if you're listening to the replay. We'd encourage you also to check out and connect with Christine and Aaron. I think we've got their LinkedIn uh, URLs in the show notes. All right. Uh, Ishtiak, I believe I got that right via LinkedIn, says, I understand standardized coding or tagging for categories or subcategories of data could be helpful in reducing duplicate data problems. Excellent point there, Ishtiak. Uh, Lance says, great insight. Thanks for sharing your wisdom and perspectives. Thanks for joining us, Lance. Uh, be sure to let us know where you're tuned in from uh, via LinkedIn. Uh, Jenny, my takeaways, she says, Sandsdemic. Not enough people. That is a great, that's the first time I heard that today. And yeah. many ways to navigate the data swamp. Great quote from Laura Ciceri. Thank you. Jenny, great to have you here today. Uh, I know you've got a big upcoming event in September. We look forward to talking with you more about that, but really appreciate what you do and your leadership uh, in the beautiful state of Wisconsin. And good luck to your Badgers. Ika Mafuna, 
I, I believe I've got that right. Great conversation. Thank you, supply, supply Chain. Uh, Scott Luton, Supply Chain Now team. Thank you for being here. Thank you for tuning in and appreciate uh, that perspective. Okay, Greg, it's the top of the hour. Big thanks again to our friends at Varus and Christine Barnhart yeah. and Aaron Meredith. Oh, we got we to throw this in because this guy is from Heavensville. Adam Lair, I bet. Maybe Lore. But Lair, Lair Lore. Yeah. Enjoy the show from Heavensville, Indiana. The home, the, the home of the infamous Christine Barnhart. I can see that. Can't you? Can't you see the uh, the big sign as you, on as you the approach? Sign. Yeah, yeah. As you approach yeah. the city limits, love that. David, I agree with you. Supply chain needs a common language. Excellent point there, David. Great to have you here today. Amen for that. Okay, so Greg, your final thought, and then we're going to sign off here today. Yeah, I'm, it's real simple. It is kind of like I encourage people when they go sailing or start giving to philanthropy. Transform simple. Transform small transform now. Love it, man. I'm going to completely steal that from you, Greg, but Hey folks, hopefully you've enjoyed this conversation as much as we have a lot of good stuff. Greg, always a pleasure to do this with you. Big thanks. Thanks to our guests, Christine Barnhart and Aaron Meredith with Ferris and big thanks to all the folks that showed up in the sky boxes, yeah. the cheap seats. Really appreciate the comments and questions today. Very full and vibrant conversation. Folks uh, want to make sure we bring your attention one more time to Help whatever. There's so many great groups. If you do your homework, there's a lot of a lot of great groups doing great things for our our fellow humans uh, in Ukraine, the families, the refugees. But here's one that we have vetted and we believe in: Ukraine.eopoland.org. Uh, if you can help, if you can afford, uh, please uh, do so. Percent of your money goes to the the recipients. So. That's right. That's right. And boots on ground, the folks that are that are interacting with and helping and looking to folks in the eye of the mm. refugees that need the aid and support. So let's have their back and let's uh, donate to it. Folks, hopefully you enjoy this conversation as much as I have. Big thanks for tuning in. Big thanks to Greg, our, all the folks behind the scenes, Chantel, Amanda, Catherine. Be sure you check out uh, Modex uh, booth 1124 for our friends at Verison. And with all of that said, whatever you do, whether it relates to um, how you lead your supply chains, what you contribute to your supply chains or what you, how you contribute to uh, your fellow, you know, we're talking about humanity. That's what we're talking about here. So not to be too dramatic, but take action, do good, give forward, be the change that's needed. And with that said, we'll see you next time right back here on Supply Chain Now. Thanks everybody. Thanks for being a part of our Supply Chain Now community. Check out all of our programming at SupplyChainNow.com and make sure you subscribe to Supply Chain Now anywhere you listen to podcasts and follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. See you next time on Supply Chain Now. Supply Chain Now.